Hello and welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week, the random movie we watched at midnight was John Borman's Zardos, released in 1974. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. Luke? Nash, what the hell you got us watching this <laughs> week, dude? <laughs> we got is, this is entirely my fault for watching this movie. Yeah, uh, we got Zardos coming out in the year 1974, so we're going pretty far back this week. Um, starring the homeboy, the one, the only, the legendary Sean Connery playing Zed, and he's definitely the probably the only person in this movie you would know. I don't really know any of the other actors, but we'll still go through them. So we got Charlotte Ramping as Consuela. We got John Alderton as Friend. Creative name on that one. Then we got Sarah <laughs> Kesselman playing May and Niall Buggy playing Arthur, who is inconsequently Zardos. But that's not a spoiler because he tells you in the first two minutes of the film. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, directed by John Borman, dude. What were you gonna say about Arthur? I was gonna say it's pretty. It's a pretty interesting sort of cast. Um, uh, John Borman, he uh, directed Deliverance, which. I guess any sort of cinephile will tell you it's probably one of the greatest movies, like one of the most revered and well-known movies ever made and all Squeal that. And like a piggy boy. Yeah. That's, and that's sort of how he was able to make this movie. They pretty much gave him free reign. Like he, he was apparently supposed to be working on like Lord of the Rings, like an adaptation for the Lord of the Rings, but it was like costing too much. So he's just like, yeah, I still want to make my own world. I don't know. This looks pretty cool. Fantasy and stuff. Um, but apparently Sean Connery was supposed to be played by, their uh, Zed was supposed to be played by Burt Reynolds instead of <laughs> Sean Connery. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, that would be funny. That Yo, Sean, funny. Sean Connery kind of looks like Burt Reynolds in this movie, dude. Not gonna lie. Yeah, no, I, I think I'd agree with that. So, the um. Must, the, the mustache. 100% the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's set this world out there, kids. So it's, uh, the year is 2,293, a year I hopefully will not be old enough to see. Uh, the human race has evolved past our wildest imagination. It's a post-apocalyptic society in theory, but it's more of just, like, a lot of things have changed rather than, um, like, the world kind of ended, you know what I mean? So, um, mm -hmm. it's kind of become a divided system. And um, some people have reached what they call total consciousness, where you kind of just like become omnipotent in life and immortal, and you don't, you're not, um, you're you're not at fault for like being a human. Like there's there's no human urges or tendencies. You're literally just like a sentient being who can just seize everything and knows everything about the universe, which is kind of tight. That'd be kind of cool if that's the way that yeah. we eventually evolve. So essentially, like, there's no more death. There's no more sleep. You're on this high level of consciousness. And um, these people are pretty much, like, consider themselves gods because essentially they are gods. They are, they're immortal. They've conquered death. Some of them have been alive for, like, 300 or so years. So um, already in that first description, you know that we're dealing with a pretty sci-fi heavy world, and it's going to be interesting. So Sean Connery comes into play. Because, like I said earlier, it is a divided world, and Sean Connery comes from the Outerlands, where there are savages murdering, raping, pillaging, doing everything you would suspect a savage to do. And Sean Connery finds himself uh, sucked up into a giant head, and he is now <laughs> literally a giant head, and he is now on the other side of society. And so this is the world that we're dealing with, so it's almost 300 years in the future, and it's a super weird place and it's a really unique movie because of the reality that uh, john borman created yeah um so what to sort of expect in this movie um power structure is a big thing there's this classic utopia slash dystopia thing going on um collective thought the meaning of life sort of humanity being a puppet master sort of more in respects to like in a divine way sort of like god's role or what is a god uh overcoming your primal tendencies and of course death um death probably being the biggest one um so now this this is gonna be an interesting one luke uh we're gonna have to do the thumbs up thumb down uh voting so uh what are you going to give this <laughs> You know, I'm going to give it a thumbs up 
but I didn't love this movie. I didn't love this movie. It tried to do a lot, and it succeeded in some of the things, and I think it failed in some of the things. So I'm a little excited to unpack it, because there's a lot yeah. more to unpack than I was expecting with a movie called Zardos. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Are you a thumbs up or thumbs down for this one? I got. I had to give it a thumbs up, but sort of the similar reasons. Honestly, it's sort of like, if I think of, like, who could I su- who would I suggest this movie to? It's really kind of difficult to think of a long list of people that would enjoy it and see it for that, like that, all the themes yeah. it's trying to go for and stuff yeah that, totally. that would yeah that would really enjoy it or would be willing to sit through it um so now that we've given you a taste of the movie again we don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it in fair warning though this movie is a lot more intense than the other movies we have reviewed it isn't the type of film you want to watch with your parents, no matter what <laughs> age you are. <laughs> so if you're still up for it, uh, haven't already done so, like and subscribe to our channel. Uh, pause us so you can go check this one out for yourself. Oh, Okay, dude, wow. so before we get into anything, I would like to explain that, like, <laughs> I've known you for, like, five, six years now. I'd say that you've been showing me this screenshot of Sean Connery for, like, literally five years, bro. You've been so on board with watching this Zardos movie for so long. I can't believe we actually watched it, and that's what it actually was. So, for anybody who doesn't know, dude, just go into your phone, Google Zardos, and just look for a picture of Sean Connery in, oh, like, a oh, Speedo bandolier in hooker boots. <laughs> And He's so I hide like leather boots on. Yeah, so you picked this movie, and I'm like, oh, sick, Zardos. All right, we're in for it again this week. Last week, we had a movie with an eccentric title. This week, we're watching Zardos with Sean Connery <laughs> in a Speedo. So, like, uh, this this podcast in this series has definitely opened my eyes to some movies I would not have watched in in theory, oh, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. What was, what, was the, what was the first uh, the first kind of discussion points you wanted to get into? Um, well, it's sort of... Like, how we rated this movie is kind of, like, really what, what we're trying to do here is, like, the movie does a lot. There is a ton in this movie. And honestly, too much. And that's sort of, like, its biggest downfall is how much it tries to put in it when it didn't need to. A lot of it seems sort of unnecessary. So it's sort of like we want to get rid of all that weird and uncomfortable stuff once you've seen the movie. We want to get that out of the way and sort of try to then explain how other things sort of tie into each other. Um, so a, a big thing that you noticed if you did just Google this movie is that a lot of the reviews are probably going to say the same thing. Like, this movie's got a cool concept. It seems very original. It's unique, but it gets bogged down and sidetracked and all these other themes that it's going for, and it sort of becomes convoluted by the end of it, where you don't really know what's going on when you should. Um, what was that movie we did where the big, it was, uh, for Queen and Country. It suffered that, a similar type of thing where, like, that big emotional moment that we're all supposed to see on the screen sort of faded away because of all the other ridiculous dramatic actions that took place. Um, so, we're gonna sort of start off with these, the crazy, the craziest things in this movie that we think really detract from the overall plot. And the big one being the sex dynamic in the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, anytime you're dealing with sex, I feel like you're kind of free range to turn a lot of people off just because sex can be a really uncomfortable subject for some people and some people just don't want to have that in their movies and whatnot. And this is for Definitely, sure yeah. not a movie for those type of people. And um, yeah. for a couple reasons. For, for starters, um, so to, to briefly explain it, <laughs> Um, Sean Connery shows up in this world and essentially all of the eternal people, the people who have reached his consciousness are looking at him like he's a science experiment because none of them have ever seen somebody who is a quote unquote brutal in this world. And so one of the main points that they make about him is that he is still a slave to the urges of being a human and that he still wants to reproduce and have sex and children and all that stuff. And all these omnipotent people, that hasn't been part of their mind for like 300 years. So they put a lot of focus yeah. on like these like 
there's one really uncomfortable scene where they're showing Sean Connery porn, and it's like it's just goofy. They straight up just they straight up just show him porn, like yeah, that. and it's <laughs> like, straight up just yeah, just people having sex, and it's like on the screen for like two minutes, and it's in a room full of crowded people, and so it's one of those scenes where like they're trying to get a point across, but uh, Nash and I are just children are giggling at the fucking screen because it's just so goofy. So like, there's a lot of stuff like that, and like that whole scene essentially just boils down to Sean Connery getting like getting a boner. Like that's the joke of the yeah, scene. Yeah, that was the joke. Like, yeah, well, what is it? Whole, what does it really come down to? It was a bit. They were doing a bit the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and so like, so the, so you know, the the whole concept of sex in this movie, I think, is there for a really distinct reason, and they don't necessarily miss their mark when they're doing it, but they're just doing it in like not outlandish, but just like in your face ways of like, oh, is Sean Connery gonna get an erection from watching this porn with his group full of people? <laughs> like, just, yeah, what, yeah, dude? He, come on. Um, yeah. So, do you want to just run through the list? Uh, of in uh, of the sexual dynamic things that were like sort of distracting. <laughs> okay, well there's there there's an orgy in the movie that was just like out of place and weird. That was yeah um, the the orgy at the end. I'm not sure if you caught that. <laughs> yeah, if you watched the movie if you stayed for that long. It just it seemed out of place. It's really distracting from what's going on. Yeah, the um, one one of the women is teaching like a health class like a health class air quotes and like there's just like this powerpoint presentation of like penises getting erect and they're like cartoons and stuff and it's just like it's 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 off-putting straight up that's the best way i can put for it it's just off-putting and it makes you just be like uh, this is a weird movie from the 70s dude this isn't a crazy it's not like a badass yeah. movie from the 70s it's just a weird movie from the 70s when <laughs> i when weird... i when we focus on all that stuff you know yeah um uh, their costumes too. Like yeah, that, like, that clearly is showing sort of like a sexual dynamic there. Yeah, um, well, specifically, specifically for the brutals because like everyone in the upper society, their clothes are weird, but they're not like super crazy. It's just like yeah, they don't like they don't you don't really think too much about it. Yeah. It's just like fashion, but then you look at Sean Connery and the rest of the Brutals, and they're <laughs> they're dressed in red tight bathing suits, red matching bandoliers, and like all of them have on like above the knee like thigh leather high, boots, thigh yeah. high leather boots, thigh high leather boots, and like, <laughs> and it is it's really distracting because it's sort of like these outfits are kind of like. Too de- they have like there's they're, they're hardly outfits you know but they're yeah. like sort of too detailed to be like like why is that like that I feel like they just wear whatever the hell they found on the ground and like, a lot a lot of the brutals wear that helmet and we'll we'll explain the helmet in a little bit but like the helmet on top of all of that other stuff this giant red head in this helmet and like this weird costume like this is just all the stuff that like makes the movie really weird and not showable to people. You know? Yeah, because it, it, it really, again, you, you start noticing that more than, like, the actual story that's going on. It makes it pretty difficult. Yeah. The, um, and, and this sort of storytelling, it's just sort of like, um, like, these are called, like, dramatic actions. Like, when you have, like, a love scene or when you have somebody die, there are points in the story that are, that are surrounded by a lot of emotion. And... A lot of bad stories, it's sort of like the story is sort of held together only by these dramatic actions. And a lot of movies are only the sum of their dramatic actions, but that's if you want a good movie, it's sort of the build up to those dramatic actions. Like we were like I was sort of talking with Luke earlier about how like saving Private Ryan is essentially only like segments of like, 15 minutes there's a dramatic action where somebody dies at like every 15 minutes in the movie that's just how it goes but it isn't a bad movie because there's build-up because you get to know those characters you get to see them interact and relate so when it happens because they're in war it's sort of expected you can anticipate it it doesn't seem out of the blue whereas in this movie almost all of the dramatic actions are sort of like it's it's as if they're there just to keep you in the movie when it's like they shouldn't be. They should just be part of the story. Yeah. You know, they, they, be, they become sort of their own thing. Like, that. the best example is that scene where they watch porn. Yeah. It's like, that. that's just... It's sort of like the Game of Thrones, like, theory, where it's like, oh, you're getting bored? Well, here's some naked people 
<laughs> yeah, it's just like, just to make you be like, dude, what? Like, yeah, exactly. And that doesn't it doesn't really sort of help the plot. It really distracts from it because, like we've said, this movie has a ton of stuff in it that could have been good, sort of without these outlandish, over the top dramatic actions. Yeah, that was a really good point you made. It's a re- it's a real fine line between like having it build up reach something and have us be like oh damn and then the other side of the line where it's just like you're just throwing things at me to make me be like oh this is a movie huh yeah it's like okay you you know you knew i was falling asleep you knew you didn't have my attention and now you're just using this because it's supposed to invoke something in me and it happens a lot in stories especially bad stories you really notice them a lot Mm-hmm. Just because it's like, if a character dies out of nowhere for no reason, you can assume, okay, that was just a dramatic action to keep me interested in the story. And it's sort of making sure those points are kind of in the story, but they aren't the only reason you're watching it. Yeah, and like like we said, there's so much going on in this movie, it's hard to, to distinguish between those things. Like, it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to distinguish what's actually important, what I'm just being shown, and the point they actually wanted to make. So, like, just, that, that, that was the whole kind of sex dynamic, really, just, um, I felt like that was really something that I wanted to talk about, just because all those, all that weird stuff definitely pulls you out of it, but then there's just, like, other small point parts where, like, they have that whole, like, finger court thing, where they're, like, yeah. all oh, yelling yeah. at him and, like, wiggling their fingers, and he, like, becomes a renegade, like, that scene isn't bad, it's just weird and barely explained. Like, I don't understand how these people's powers work very well in this world. And then, like, the floating head in the beginning... It has has that scene as a lot of screen time, too. Yeah, oh yeah, a ton of screen time. Yeah, and that's when you, like, see them eat all, like, the weird green bread and everything. (laughs) And, like, all all that stuff is just, like, classic, like, sci-fi weirdness. And, like, it's it's not taking away from it, but it's just not adding too much. So, like, the most obvious stuff in that aspect is... All the sex stuff, but all this other stuff that I'm gonna talk about quickly right now is just kind of like, okay, this is what makes it a weird movie. Movie from the '70s, like it could just be a good movie instead. It's a weird movie from the '70s. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Because these are points where it's they did more distracting from what was going on. They made you remember that you're just watching a movie rather than actually, like, sort of tell the story they're trying to tell. Yeah, well, another good example of that is, so the fir- the very first scene with, with the floating head, I barely listened to what the guy was saying because I was so focused on the vagina written in Sharpie on his chin. <laughs> dude, that was his beard. <laughs> like, his beard was just a bunch of circles drawn in Sharpie and, like, a little Sharpie mustache. Like, and it just looks weird. Like, it, it, yeah, and, like, it, it totally, uh, yeah, his head's just floating there right in the beginning. It's just sort of jarring i mean he's explaining the whole movie to you but it's kind of like i don't need that because they explain it later too they explain the movie twice in the beginning and in the end <laughs> I, I don't yeah. need that much explanation yeah so like I'm, I'm not trying to sound too much like 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 a douche and like like th- these things were in the movie and they made me hate the movie but it's like no i like this movie but when i look at it like critically and when i look at it as ways that it could have been better you, I, I can't say that this movie wouldn't get better if you didn't take away all of those strange aspects, you know? Yeah, or just make them more subtle than they are. Because it's like that sex dynamic part, it makes sense. It fits the story of sort of like when you have um, people that kind of live forever and can't ever actually die. It's sort of like, okay, things become boring. They lose their sexual appetite. That's pretty believable, I guess. You know, it's not f- that far-fetched. But it's like it's so detailed where it's unimportant, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like they're just curious about the sexual dynamic part. They aren't really like trying to create more people. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what's the what's the point, really? You know? Yeah. But again, mo- moving on towards those other odd moments. Well, you know, honestly, dude, I think we kind of made our point about the odd moments. I'd kind of like to get into the what we actually liked about the movie now. So, like, pretty much oh, just if, 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 if you're going to watch this movie, just, like, know that it's going to be a 1970s movie with a weird screenshot of Sean Connery for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, totally. like, yeah, so, like, um, 
So let's do do that first scene re really quickly. He uh, he floating head breaks the fourth wall and he pretty much tells us the entire plot of the movie. But because you have no idea what's going on, you don't know that until the movie's done. Which you know overall, I think that this opening scene is a little unnecessary just because they literally explain it all in the movie really well and cool and like looking back this beginning scene just kind of sets the tone for the movie to be kind of weird and i don't really think it helps at all but um i would like to say that i do really like the last lines of that little monologue when the dude's like ah oh, you poor creatures um what does he say he's like uh who, who conjured you who conjured you out of clay is is your god in show business too and so like he's making a good point mm -hmm. like i like the um i like the theme and i like the idea of what they're trying to do there but it's weird again because like why was that a part of the movie like why is there all this weird stuff in the movie that doesn't need to be there yeah like it's pretty obviously just saying okay you're zardos in fact it it's even just so blatantly obvious because he's just a floating head which is all zardos is it just see it just seems so redundant like <laughs> yeah it's it's very it's very redundant and the first time you see it it's like mysticism and like what is he talking about god in show business and then you go back and you're like oh he just explained the movie why did they put that in there i didn't i did i watched it i didn't need you to explain it in the first in the first part um but yeah, so that that first scene's a little unnecessary, but then I do like, I think the strongest part of this movie is like those first 40 minutes. I know that you liked I, it a lot, I, so do you kind of oh want to yeah. get into that? I would totally agree, because I think all that sort of mystery, um, it's, uh, the cinematography is really nice, honestly, in the, in like the first 40 minutes of it. Um, so it's pretty much, you don't have too much dialogue going on except from Zardos, the giant stone floating head. Now, what you see are the, uh, oh, what are they called? The brutes. And yeah, the brutes. They're just, they're all dressed in those Speedos with double bandolier knee-high boots, or thigh-high boots with the Zardos masks on. And so they're running to Zardos, who's, like, giving them guns because, essentially, Zardos is sort of explaining what's been going on, like, what their lives are is pretty much Zardos gives them these guns so they can kill all these people and go pillage, you know, throughout the Outer Lands. Um, mm -hmm. And you're really, it's really, it's pretty well done because you're not being explicitly told too much about what's going on. Zardos tells them what to do, but it's like you actually get to see it. You feel like you're involved in it. It takes its time with sort of some pan over shots. Like, it isn't just rushing and jamming down a lot of stuff down your throat. It's really getting you invested in sort of what's going on around it. Um... And so we're sort of intrigued by this because, well, as an audience, that's how, as an audience member, it's how I felt because we're sort of learning what the hell is going on because the only dialogue we really have is from Zardos at this point. And so now we really don't know anything about these types of people. We don't know anything about Sean Connery. We have to discover him as much as the Eternals have to discover him uh, later on because after he sort of gets into Zardos, the giant floating head. It, they don't explain that right away. Mm -hmm. You just sort of see him sort of go up in there. Yeah, I think... I think it, sorry, I don't, I, don't mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, 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 I think that it's a great perspective that, that, that mm -hmm. they're telling it from. It's a great... Um, you know, when you're when you're telling a story, you're telling it from the perspective of a character or a third party, and like they're telling it from a third party in a great way, where like we we are just as confused as Sean Connery, as you just said, and therefore like it pulls you in so greatly, like it pulls you in, like what the fuck is going on, and not in the way that we were talking about earlier, where it's odd, it's pulling you in as like this is some weird stuff, and I'm pretty interested in it. Which is a really, it's a really hard thing to do with movies. I think that happens uh, more often with movies because in books you have a lot of time to explain sort of the world and the characters around you and that's kind of how books have to be. You have to explain it so somebody can imagine it. But whereas in movies it's sort of, you have to, ex a lot of movies it's kind of like you just have to accept this concept. And I think that's probably the best way in a lot of cases to tell, to make a movie um, because the more you try to explain it, the more holes you're going to poke into your own theory, into your own world. Um, it's sort of like uh, the original Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. That was around this time, wasn't it? Was that early 80s? I think it was a little later than Zardos, but yeah, same time period. Yeah, it's, it's roughly around there. and You just sort of accept a lot of that world. You're not necessarily explained too much. Mm -hmm. 
you're but you just sort of accept that world and everybody kind of agrees that that world is pretty believable you know you, you don't need to spend all this time in exposition just setting up the world yeah and this is sort of a good example of that and that's kind of why that head's really distracting because i didn't need him to tell me all of that <laughs> yeah man and you know that i think i think that's a real really good principle of good storytelling is just being able to tell your story from the perspectives of someone involved in the story like i think that's a real solid line that people should make when they're writing a movie is like how does how do we pull the audience in so they feel like they're a part of the world this movie does a great job at making you feel like you don't know what's going on and it's interesting enough to make you want to keep watching and then eventually it gets bogged down by all this weird stuff but i don't want i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves so we got sean connery in this weird head looking around and all of a sudden he gets um like captured by the people and now he's like a science experiment and he's on display and they want to learn stuff from him and quickly what we learn is that sean connery has not had an easy life the outlands are not a chill place quote unquote (laughs) um you know i don't want to i don't want to talk about it too much just because i do think it's uncomfortable and like a little unnecessary to really dive into but we do see sean connery like rape somebody in this movie and there's another scene where he gets pretty close to it and like um i honestly i don't like those parts of the movie because i i think zed sean connery like isn't trying to be an unlikable character he's not trying to be an anti-hero but we see him do these terrible things and it makes it hard to like him as a character when you know that that's who he is underneath but at the same time he is that way because of the way that he grew up so you have to acknowledge that like this is the way that sean connery's character broke up and he's turned into a bad person and like what drove this world to be so brutal which eventually leads into the whole world is like a chess game essentially and that it's like all fabricated so you know i don't know if i just like made sense there if i just rambled on but yeah that's like the complex no, that's the I, that's the complexities of this movie right there i think it sort of makes sense because <clears throat> that scene is like reiterated like a lot we it's see it like four like times up, yeah, yeah yeah it's brought up like three or four more times after the fact from the first time that you're told and it's sort of like you don't really need that his sort of character as he goes it's sort of you understand that as he is you're reminded that he's a brutal you don't need to straight up remind yeah. me the whole time that that's what he does um yeah. but I, I think that is a good point because he is probably the best example of an anti-hero just because of the setting that he's in he wasn't necessarily doing anything against his society you know because mm-hmm. he was just there to essentially kill and murder and pillage like he that's that's as far yeah, as his that's, that's what his really default went. is that's what the default yeah. of this world is which is like it's an it's an it's definitely an interesting setup but like they're they're throwing it in your face a little bit too much to the point of where i'm just like slow down because i want i want to like zed but like i can't because he's clearly like a a, a rapist and like a pillager and yeah. a murderer which is like not chill you know what i mean <laughs> exactly and i think it's sort of it kind of distracts a little bit from the how, what we see of him at the end of the movie yeah you know it, it's it's kind of it doesn't seem like that change happened as naturally as it could have because you keep reiterating this point rather than showing any type of change yeah exactly so it's they're they're really just like beating it over the head with a hammer and like i would rather have just i don't know seen a little bit more acknowledgement to what got him to that point or like um the way that they mostly explain the outlands is by like flashbacks and stuff and like it doesn't totally not work but it also makes it kind of hard to gauge how the world actually works because all we see is just death destruction pillaging is that what it's really like all the time these guys literally just ride around on their horses everywhere and just murder anybody who they find like that's that's a pretty hardcore idea for like a world you're creating yeah and um that that's another that brings up another point that those the third type of characters that we have that the brutals are the are killing raping and murdering and stealing from the eternals pretty much only ever say about them that the brutals are just there to keep them in check and it's like what like yeah okay i guess you don't want them to steal the stuff of the eternals but it's like you're still giving them a bunch of guns and stuff so what makes you think that they won't just come and like take your shit over which they do in yeah. the end yeah they're for cursing no you're you're good there's just like there's a lot of hypocrisy in in the movie but um i feel like um 
let's get back in, into the way that the story evolves so we can kind of um, reiterate our points yeah. a little bit more. So, like, the society learns about him, and it quickly dis- sparks the debate of what they should do with him. Should he be a science experiment, or should we just kill him now? Because brutals are not supposed to be in this upper society. Like, it, like he, Sean Connery, um, like, snuck in there, and he's the first brutal they've ever seen to go in there. So everybody is kind of, like, had their world rocked. Like, what do we do with this brutal? And, um... They, they have a way of putting his memories on a screen. So that's how they show you all the bad stuff he's done, and that's how the rest of the people see it. And, like, instead of being disgusted by it and wanting him to die, which some of them do, but a lot of them are like, why would we not keep it? Let's keep it. We need to, to relieve the boredom of being immortal. This is cool. Why are we just going to throw this out and go back to the status quo? And so... Right there, when that guy says that line, it sets up that like sets the entire tone of the movie. That it's like we have mm-hmm. two societies. One of them considers itself the greatest. The other one is like the lowest form of society in that it's literally just whoever is most powerful wins, which is like kind of um like a bar- bar- barbaric. So it's literally like barbaric and yeah, extreme straight future. up anarchy. Yeah, straight up, straight up anarchy and and being barbaric, and then. The future where everybody is quote unquote happy. They have fixed the problems of the universe. They're immortal. There's no there's no famine other than like the one disease, and like we have this this brute here. Let's keep it. Let's relieve the boredom. And so that's that's what, um what, what, cut cut me off. I'm I'm rambling. That, that's, <laughs> well, that that that's um exactly sort of what a classical utopia dystopia. Um, scenario is because whereas you have the anarchy, the anarchist society set up by the brutals, you have this essentially utilitarian socialist society uh, created by the Eternals, and everything has to be sort of a complete vote. They do things democratically, but if you disagree with them, with society at all as a whole, they instantly reject you. So it's like you can't ever stray too far. From the same collective thought. Mm-hmm. And the major point that gets reiterated in a lot of utopias is sort of... Utopias are really boring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like in uh, the Divine Comedy, Dante's Inferno, it's essentially like... The most boring part of the whole poem is when you get to heaven, because nothing happens there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, It's boring. <laughs> it's yeah. perfect. So mm-hmm. nothing really goes on. Yeah, and um, that brings up, you know, a friend is a really interesting character in this movie because he kind of, he's the one who gives us the most exposition about how this world works, and he's kind of that embodiment of, like, being too bored with existence. Like, existence is just going on and going on, and we're just going to exist here. Like, screw that, I don't want to be a part of that. And there's, um, you know, there's, like, there's the whole thing with the... Um, um, if you, okay, if you do anything wrong in this society, then they give you five years on your life, so eventually if you're a bad enough person, you'll just become old while everybody else isn't old, and they call those people renegades, mm-hmm. and there's the people who are, um, the apathetics, I think is the word they use for it, and they have yeah. a disease that just makes them, um, like, lobotomized, essentially, and, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so they're in, um, Sean Connery and Friend are in the, the barn the first time he sees them, and, um, friend essentially says to Sean Connery he's like you can either choose to be apathetic or you can choose to be a renegade those are your only two options because death is off the table dude so you're either going to live the rest of your life being old and hated by everybody or this disease is slowly just going to come and take over your life and that's like that's depressing extremely depressing and like what so that's kind of like the hypocrisy of this world that like we're living in a utopian society where nobody really has any emotions or personality or character and we're kind of just going to exist and like What's the fun in that, dude? I want to invite a brutal on board and see see what goes on when he starts setting stuff on fire. And that really is sort of what separates it out from a lot of this, like, utopia, dystopia. See, those words mean the same thing because you can't have a utopia. So every time you have a utopia, it's a dystopia. That's why I keep saying that. But this movie, is, it's a, the story is very unique in how it does it because... It's not only just a matter of, like, life is boring, but the apoplexy is sort of slowly... is It's a force in and of itself. It's not just a matter of these people are bored. It's you literally lose all feeling and drive to do anything, and it just makes you not human. You're essentially a boulder. You know, you have you, it's like a rock that could live forever. It wouldn't do anything. 
because because that's sort of what happened. They run. I think that what we're supposed to get out of that is that we they run out of everything that's actually made them human and being able to live forever. Like there's no excitement, there's no joy, there's no sadness, there's no nothing. Because there can never ever there can never really be an end. It just kind of is now one long continuous boredom. Yeah, and honestly, dude, I think I think that ide- ideology is what saved the saves the movie because it asks yeah. all these questions, and these aren't necessarily new questions, but it one hundred percent asks them in an interesting way. And the differences between Zed and these people are definitely interesting. I just said interesting a lot, but like that's the best word to use it for, like. Yeah, we were just talking about all the off-putting stuff and all the bad things Zed does, but like if you look if you look past that, then like we just have completely opposite sides of the spectrum of what it means to like be a quote-unquote human. And so like the yeah. the main difference we we're talking about is the sex drive, but like it's a primal instinct that like Zed has that these people don't have and he just wants to procreate with women, which is just like a primal instinct that we have. So like we're literally looking into we're we're looking through a lens of like the literal basic parts of being a human and what that means and then the upper echelon of society and so now what's really cool about this movie that we kind of alluded to in the beginning was that at the beginning you don't know how smart sean connery is you think Mm -hmm. that he might just be a brutal who doesn't know anything and just found his way into this upper echelon society but that of course is not true i'm gonna let you unpack that one because i know it was one of your favorite parts of the movie yeah, because that really is sort of that. That's how I would define the movie. It's sort of you've got uh, you've got sort of this discovery phase, and then you realize how intelligent Zed is, and that really is sort of it, it's a his character is again why it makes this movie really interesting, because once you realize that he's smarter than he's sort of led on or has been revealed to you. It's sort of like, oh, wow, so anything can happen. We've just we've heard characters say that he's the most powerful person in there, and now he knows that because they told him because they, uh, you know, undermined him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, uh, <coughs> you know, that sort of character, that sort of development is so interesting. Yeah. Gonna steal your word because that's what is really the compelling story behind this is this unique character Zed. He isn't sort of like any other kind of utopian, dystopian character that I've seen. He's sort of tricked the system, but is already totally opposed to it from the get-go. It's all, it, he is base survival. And that is just... It's a very unique concept. And why I sort of get upset with the movie is because you don't need all the other distracting things... Yeah, just seem to be there for fluff. Yeah, no, that's wait. What you just explained is an interesting narrative. Yeah, exactly. You've got op. You've got opposing society. You've got primal versus the. I don't know what's the opposite of primal. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say we'll say consciousness. If 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 you call it that, complete yeah, total consciousness. That's what they call it in the movie. You've got those factors, and those on their own are enough to make an interesting story. You don't need to fill it with fluff and, like, petty dramatic actions to keep me interested. That story is enough to do it. That's why I kept watching the movie. Yeah, Um, for sure. Is there um, anything else? Is there something you wanted to say about that? Yeah, well, so... Because there is a lot to unpack, you know, Zed, unpack there. Zed, Zed, Zed essentially um, becomes, like, the embodiment of death in a way, because he is the only person in this society who has the ability to kill anybody, because none of these people, all these people are immortal, when you die, you just get recreated in like a week, and they decide what your punishment will be for whatever reason you died, and so, again, now, it's interesting because we have all of this stuff going on, and then on top of that, they see Zed as a means of getting out, they see Zed's as a means of like, okay, this guy can kill me, and it doesn't start right away. It's a very slow incline towards, um, like, everybody just wanting to get shot in the head because they're sick of being alive, and then it gets down to that final scene when it's just a giant shootout of all the brutes versus the upper echelon of society, and, like, I think that's, like, that that was a really good, like, really good narrative point and a really good way to, like, show the differences between being totally conscious and just being primal and how your life can end in a second if you're talking to the right person at the right time, you know? Yeah, and th- that's like... 
That is a crazy scene. And <laughs> just to speak on that scene specifically at the very end, uh, when the Brutals sort of infiltrate the whole place and start just making a shooting gallery, it's kind of undermined by the goofiness that just sort of appears in this movie. Like, they've had their, like, time for jokes like they've made like a couple jokes mm-hmm. in the movie so far but then for some reason like at the climax of this movie when we're supposed to see like you know all the, the clashing of these worlds and ideologies what we get is a really goofy orgy scene where everybody gets shot yeah and, and it's a, just kind of like, yeah, dude. What? It's like, like no, it's like slow down. We, I was interested yeah. in what was going on. Why are you overdoing it right now and making this a weird cult film? Yeah, and that that was that's kind of so, like such a because the 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 origin part makes sense because these people have been alive for three hundred years and at some point we assume a very long time ago they lost all of their sex drive mm-hmm. and so now that the threat of death comes back. They have their sex drive back. And that makes sense. But it's like they tried to add comic relief to it. Yeah. And they didn't need to. Yeah, and it's not its not like that. It's not very clever in the way that they do it. I really feel like it was just weird. It was just just weird. Yeah. It's like it was, the, yeah. The, the, the theme of this review has been, this is a good movie, but be prepared for it to be weird. So, like, I really, if you're going to watch this movie, I really want you to strip away all that weird stuff and just notice that the story that they're actually trying to tell. Because the story in itself is interesting. The way Sean Connery interacts with these people, the way that we're showing Sean Connery's character... And you know we didn't even get we didn't even get to the twist of the movie, dude. So let's let's uh, let's blow the minds of anybody who hasn't seen this movie right now. So like, oh yeah, well I, you're I, like I, uh, start, spell can you, just... can you spell Zardos for me, bro? <laughs> yeah, before we do that, because I know where you're going, I just want to sort of explain like really the point of the whole movie is for Sean Connery to find out the truth. Yeah, like that's kind of he's trying to find out what the hell is making everybody so immortal and powerful, and what the hell the actual tabernacle is. And why but, and why he wasn't a part of it? Why he is considered a different person than these people? Yeah, but uh, Zardoz is uh, spelled Z A R D O Z. All right, Nash, Nash, Nash. What is the first? What is the, <laughs> spell the first syllable of Zardoz for me? Zard. How do you, how do you spell Zard? Z A R D. Put a W I in front of it. <laughs> wizard. The wizard. The wizard Oz. Wait, the wizard Oz. The wizard of Oz. Whoa. Ah. The wizard of Oz is Zardos. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so. It's a <laughs> yes, it's a fucking pun. <laughs> Okay, long story short, Sean Connery learns how to read, and he's reading books, and he discovers <laughs> The Wizard of Oz, and he's like, holy shit, this is my entire existence. <laughs> oh, it's a giant floating head that, is, that seems out to, uh, seems all-powerful, but it really has nothing behind it? And then he discovers that it really has nothing behind it. So, like, okay, we didn't really explain that too much, I guess. So, like, the Ar- Arthur Farron controls the outlands because nobody else wanted to do it and instead of just controlling all these people he decides to make a game out of it with his giant floating head who pretends to be god and so literally sean connery's entire world is fabricated and he reads a book and he finds out his entire world is fabricated so now that, that once you find that out that he was led to read he didn't just find it on his own it's he was you know somebody brought the book to him. oh true true i did for there's yeah there's a scene where you kind of learn that um it was in plot it was meant for for that to happen because um i think arthur was kind of bored himself and just wanted to um kind of make zardos more of a thing so he just got no Sean definitely Everybody that's immortal suffers sort of the same thing of yeah from just having bored. this boredom. That's why really they do anything that they do in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so, so dude, that twist honestly is again like really, really cool. Like I think that's a phenomenal twist that this movie is just called Zardos, and the dude got the idea from Wizard of Oz and just built it around somebody having that idea and literally creating their own world around it. Like it's literally like as if a kid read the Wizard of Oz and then playing with his toys was pretending to be the Wizard of Oz, but he's not toys, it's real people that get murdered and shot and whatnot. Yeah. And so honestly, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie is the fact mm-hmm. that it's all based off of the Wizard of Oz because it's done subtly enough where I didn't make that connection at all during the movie and then 
when they show the Wizard of Oz book and you kind of get that click, it actually is a genuine moment of, oh, not a, that's stupid, why do they do that? It's a gen, they pulled out a genuine moment from an audience member of being like, oh shit, that's cool and makes sense. And then we go back and we talk about all this weird stuff and that bogs the movie down. So I wish that it was just Sean Connery yeah. being cool and the Wizard of Oz twist and this crazy world, but instead it's just hella weird. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, and like the the whole point is finding out the truth of it, and sort of that is, that's why that moment is so satisfying because oh my god, I have understanding for what the hell's going on in this crazy story. Yeah, yeah. But it's sort of like when you figure out like the tabernacle, which is sort of like what is like keeping them all alive, how they all have these mind powers. Yeah. It's because the tabernacle is a diamond that has infinite knowledge on it and it tells them everything and so now they know everything and so they don't need to die because they forgot about death because they all said they would. And it's just kind of like, that seems really weird. And, well, dude... <laughs> they explain that's the, it in, like, five that's the minutes. First, that's the first time we've mentioned the tabernacle during this review, and that's because it's, like, uh, it's tacked on. It feels tacked yeah. on to the story. It doesn't feel like that's what the story was actually about. He just needed a weird sci-fi thing to point at and be like, this is what made us that way. Yeah. And it, 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 it's a bummer, because that could have been a really crazy thing. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, for sure. That's all the tabernacle. Like that's a crazy concept. The tabernacle is just all of human understanding. It's just essentially a, a hard drive that is infinitely big, mm-hmm. and with infinite storage space on it, and it just has everything on it. And that's why they can do all these crazy mind powers. Like that concept is bananas. And honestly, when I was watching this movie and thought about that, if you've ever seen the movie Annihilation with Natalie Portman, yeah. It's sort of like, if you see the end, it's kind of like like when she's in the lighthouse with that little, you know, alien thing that kind of copies her. That's like the center of everything. If you think about what the movie's talking about, it's like the sphere that they're in, in the, in like, Louisiana, wherever the hell they are. Mm-hmm. It sort of takes all the DNA and scrambles it together, and the closer you get to the center, the more so it's all the same. And so at the very center, when you're at the very center... You're looking at sort of the center of everything. Yeah. And that movie is very good at being like, okay, this is really nuts and crazy. I can't make out what I'm even looking at. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, it's just kind of like, okay, I guess that explains it. it. makes sense. And it just goes away. It becomes irrelevant. It, it seems like it got swept under the rug when they could have done a better job of alluding to it. You know, I, f- I feel like you there. I feel like if there was a Zardos two and three, then the story could have been a lot more evolved like that, and we could have got a lot more um, character out of the world that he created. Because I think it is a pretty interesting world that the author created. It's just like I think it's clear from this review that like they just tried to put too much in there. Too much of it is off-putting or weird, and the actual cool themes that I found interesting, like were only so present in the story, and I wanted them to be more present. And even as even as the movie went on, dude, I would say I got bored by like an hour and ten minutes into it. I was kind of like a little bit over it, and I think it's just because they're throwing so much stuff at you. And like that yeah. just goes to show that even when the narrative and the idea behind it is important, if you don't execute it in, in, in like a great way, you're going to lose people like halfway through your movie who kind of just like wanted to wrap up already because at that point i already gotten all the ideas that they're making about the two types of society i already got the ideas talking about death and stuff and at that point i just wanted to wrap up but then we got the weird scene where he's um in all the mirrors which i don't that's not a bad scene it's just like weird and then we have like it's a date it's it's definitely a dated scene just like at the times it you know looking at it now it looks kind of bad like it definitely would have been some crazy cgi thing if they did it today but yeah it is a, it's it's a weird scene and they, they kind of sort of fumble that ending mm-hmm. and it's like when it, it could have been really cool like the best parts of the movie were like 30 or 40 minutes before the movie actually ended yeah no for real for real so like yeah man what um we're, we're getting close to wrap up time it's at 50 minutes i hope this was a good review i feel like we kind of had to jump around because there's so much going on in this movie so like overall i will say that i like this movie i don't think people should avoid it if you like sci-fi you've probably already seen it or would like to see it but like this isn't a masterpiece and i understand why it's not a movie we're talking about 40 years later 50 years later however long it's been yeah it definitely it it 
does like familiar concepts of sci-fi and it does it in an interesting way um but again yeah it really kind of just falls short of being an incredible movie because of those really outlandish things that they do yeah that it did that it honestly didn't need and that that's kind of like the the worst part about it like you didn't need all of that to make it a good movie they had everything there Mm -hmm. i didn't think sean connery was like the best pick for actors in the end but he really wasn't like bad he wasn't bad in the movie yeah well and his his character i feel like fundamentally didn't have a ton of personality to show off either so whoever they casted to be it was just kind of gonna be like a um here like a butch guy kind of role you know yeah yeah uh, yeah they probably didn't even need like an action guy yeah but but um okay so who do we do we do we have to do the final rating the final rating final rating dude let's do it out of um let's do it out of uh hooker boots (laughs) how many how many hooker boots how many hooker boots (laughs) out of what like 10 or out of 12 out of of 12 (laughs) yeah 10 (laughs) 12 hooker boots okay out of what <laughs> no oh you're giving no, it no, out of, out of tw- no i'm giving oh, okay. it i will give it i'll give it an eight out of 12 hooker boots a, a, a point one hooker eight, boots eight out, of out, of, out of 12 okay you know which yeah, which I, would, I in a 10 scale i guess would transfer down to what like six <laughs> so maybe a little higher i don't i don't know i just i just wanted to do 10 because i know it <laughs> <laughs> um God, yeah, I'd give it. I'm gonna give it a five. Five? Okay. Out of five out, out of ten. Out of ten? Five out of, <laughs> out of ten? ten? Okay, that's that's that, that's a little low. You want to explain that? Well, it's because the majority of sort of the concepts in the in the sci-fi movie aren't really original. The utopian dystopian thing isn't original. It is. They admit that it's the Wizard of Oz. How they do a lot of things are original, but again, most of the original things that you have in the movie aren't really that good. Mm. Yeah. So it's sort of like the very few things that are original and are good, there just aren't enough of them. That's fair. In comparison to everything that is unoriginal and just bad. (laughs) No, that's fair. That's fair. Because that's the writing is there. Like that—that's the thing. Like the movie is there; it does have enough, but it just falls short with its execution. All right. Well, that was well said, dude. So Zardos, it, you've been showing me that screenshot for about four years, and I'm glad we finally watched it. <laughs> no, so never uh, have to look at let it me again. Uh, let me shout out shout out our boy Schwartz for for making that beat in the beginning. Um, and I also got to shout out, uh, the ending track, uh, my homie Blanket Boy, Young Pajama San, Bruce the Recluse, Father of Zen. He goes by a lot of different names, but he's going to play Bruce you guys out today. And, uh, Father of Zen. <laughs> Dad, you got, you got some final words for us, friend? Yeah, I think that wraps it up this week with the Father of Zen. So uh, please be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. Follow us on Instagram to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and help us determine the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com and remember your donations keep my blue light on. See you next week as we yell about Hugh Hudson's revolution.